ladies and gentlemen, we promised you a great wrestling podcast, and here it is. It is Wrestle Chat. These are the Territory Tales. I am your host, Cody O'Mac. Join with me, as always, my tag team partner, Bad Bad Smoking JT Smitty. What's up, Justin? Well, let me tell you something, Dak. <laughs> we have a great show today. What is this podcast all about? Brown. <laughs> What is this podcast all about? I will tell you. We are WrestleChat. We have two weekly podcasts, one of them live on Twitch, discussing modern day wrestling, AEW and NXT, and this one, discussing, going all the way back on the WWE Network to its oldest territory wrestling available, and we are covering Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling in 1981. We have the September... Uh, 26th show, and then we jump all the way around to the middle of October as there's a couple of missing things in between. Justin's going to fill you in on those. On the break, we are going to cover the weekly wars between Mid-Atlantic, World Class Championship Wrestling, and Mid-South, but only uh, right now until about December of 81. It's only Mid-Atlantic, so we're covering two Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling shows today. Very excited to talk about these. And this is a very exciting time right now that we're covering um, Ric Flair has just won his first world heavyweight championship from Dusty Rhodes. He defeated Dusty Rhodes with a suplex, of all things, in 23 minutes. I actually reported on the last show that he won them between those two shows. Well, that was wrong, as I, I didn't well, account, it, I didn't account it may for have the been TV taping co- dates being earlier right. than the TV airing dates. Right, so so there's like three, there's like a three day, four day lap. So you may have gotten it close because of that. So we are just uh, two to your average wrestling fans. We I've been watching wrestling since about uh, I don't know 1988, and uh, Justin a little a little younger than me, a little more spry than me is an early 90s fan. We have never seen these uh, these shows before, so this is like kind of like first look, fresh eyes through the uh, these for both of us. Yeah, for the both of us. Um, we usually have a, 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 a third, an extra segment that we, we like to play called If You Wheel, where we spin a giant wheel that comes to pick up a topic like uh, greatest faces, best manager, greatest stables kind of thing. Then we build teams of four to battle each other. But that, uh, unfortunately, we are furloughing that segment today as I am going through a huge move here with a little bit of a hectic week. And we're going to hopefully get back to that next week. And I guess that's all there is to say about that. Let's go to uh, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, September 26th, 1981, MACW TV. We open with Bob Cottle and David Crockett, who are both celebrating new World Heavyweight Champion, NWA Champion, Ric Flair. Couldn't have happened to a nicer guy who wanted it more, David Crockett says. Little bit of trivia. He's also, not only is this Ric Flair's first World Championship reign, He's the first person from that territory of the of uh, Mid Atlantic and North Carolina in general to win the world's championship. So it's like this is the first time a hometown boy wins the the championship over. I believe he won it in Carolina as well. Uh, I'm maybe mistaken about that. Uh, it was either in Charlotte or in Kansas. I can't remember. Can't remember. They talk about, they give a rundown of the card here. We are going to have Ole Anderson versus Jay Youngblood. Kansas City, yep, Kansas City. Kansas City, okay. It'll be Ole Anderson versus Jay Youngblood tonight, which will be some humdinger, 
<laughs> Connell says, I love this guy. Jake the Snake with Bad Bad Leroy Brown are going to be appearing tonight. And don't forget the Grappler and the Super Destroyer and also a Sergeant Slaughter match. And here come Jake and Bad Bad Leroy Brown to ringside, uh, to the interview booth right now. And let's see. So we have, we've seen Jake the Snake Roberts, but who is Bad Bad Leroy Brown? He's from Chicago, baby. From Chicago, Illinois, made his pro wrestling debut in 1977. I am no uh, wrestling almanac. I'm no, I'm no wizard. Just just reading off the Wikipedia here. So just <laughs> as am I. As adopting am I. <laughs> the ring name Bad Bad Leroy Brown, based of course on Jim Croce's song of the same name. You don't tug on Superman's cape. In September 1977, he took part in a tournament for the vacant NWA Southern Heavyweight Champion. Chip, but was eliminated in the early rounds. Well, why would you? Why would they make a point of mentioning that? Next, he traveled to Texas to work for Fritz von Erich's NWA Big Time Wrestling. By '79, he was working in San Francisco, and in 1980, uh, he would. So he would capture the NWA Southern Heavyweight Title, which he would lose to Dusty Rhodes in 1980. And here we are in 1981. Uh, Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling brought in Leroy Brown as a regular worker, a blue-collar hero wearing coveralls and a hard hat to the ring. So he's a big boy, but he's a big player. He's been uh, he's been shaking it up with the with the big boys, Dusty Rhodes. Yeah, I like yeah. it, Von Eric Von Erics. Okay, he's he is uh, big as well. I mean, he's got to be the like just in terms of sheer size, he's got to be the biggest guy we've seen so far. I'm very happy his finisher is just a simple big splash because that's what you would do if you were a big guy like that. Just choke, just fall right on top of your opponent. Why isn't that how uh, old Mabel won the 1995 King of the Ring there? Uh, hey, how big is that guy, Gorilla? How big, <laughs> how, how big is Bad Bad Leroy Brown, Gorilla? How big is this guy? How big is this guy? Oh, I would put him at around 350 if I had to guess. <laughs> Bad, bad, I like how Jake hack. Roberts put, puts okay. him. So Jake like says Jake that Roberts bad, bad. Over. Oh. <laughs> Jake says that bad, bad. Leroy Brown knows how to get down. He doesn't know why Ole Anderson has been poking his nose in Jake's business. And we get his first self-reference as the snake. He calls himself the snake. And now you can clearly see that awesome uh, snake hat band on his cowboy hat there, which is really cool. Even it even has like the rattler on the side, like he killed a snake and put the rattler on the side, like that little touch. It's yeah, it's neat. I, I'm surprised that we never saw that in uh, WWF because it is a really cool touch. You know how Vince is; he's got to reinvent everything. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Hey, it's bad, bad Leroy Brown who says only the strong shall survive. Crockett is about as exciting as his lime green suit, and he sounds like a trained Jeff... He trained Jeff Farmer. Yep, that's what I got my note about that <laughs> David Crockett there. <laughs> well, he's like the late... He's he's sort of just the... Uh, you know, he's the son of the owner, so he's just kind of there to make sure everything goes according to the schedule. You know, he's like, yeah, we got this person on, we got that person on. He's I think like a, uh, Coddle's got more of a... More of the, uh, hey, let's get excited, because every time someone mentions Leroy Brown, he's like, oh, he's bad, isn't he? I love Crockett. He's just got this goofy grin all the time. He seems like such a nice guy, though. I, I've read that he, he is. I've read that he's, um, he's you know, he's still, uh, he's uh, he obviously no spring chicken. This is like freaking 
50 years ago, but he's actually still around. He's still kicking it, huh? Good. Uh, Cottle is yeah. around as well, but I believe he's in uh, I believe he's in a nursing facility. This is what Jim yeah. Ross says. He tries to get out and visit him as often as he can. Leroy Brown would sadly pass away, uh, kind of like Jay Youngblood, not too long too after. Young, yeah. yeah, pretty young. So I'm happy that we got to see some of the stuff here on uh, Mid-Atlantic. Yeah, uh, he... So his promos uh, are, are very uh, endearing, kind of like uh, Dusty Rhodes, Junkyard Dog, kind of uh, shuck and jive vibe, pretty... Right, I know what you mean. Like, yeah, like, like short to the point, you know, just kind of be very wacky, very lovable. I like him. Lovable, that's it. It's just like, yeah, baby, I'm going to grab you, and I'm going to rip you. <laughs> yeah. If there's one thing I learned in Chicago, baby, it's how to survive. I like only the strong shall survive, he says. It's Austin Idol versus Scott McGee. So we got a double in-ring debut here. So let's take a look at uh, both of these guys. We'll start with Austin Idol. Uh, let's see here. The star of the, of, the, of the match. So Idol is uh, well known for a... So he became... Uh, entered in 1975... Uh, entered the scene in Tampa Bay, Florida. Well known for feud during the 1980s with Jerry the King Lawler in the CWA and the AWA. And uh, then he would enter the MACW in 1981. And here we are. And uh, Scott McGee uh, started in 1970, uh, in 1978. And then he was in Championship Wrestling from Florida in 1980. Also, this is his, so he's just starting in MACW here. So by the end of 81, he's just entering Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. But in 1980, he teamed with Barry Windham uh, in Championship Wrestling from Florida. He teamed with Barry Windham, Dusty Rhodes, Magnum TA, and Blackjack Mulligan. So pretty, this guy's also uh, tussling with the top stars. Well, right. So this, they're, they're not, they're, these aren't green people uh, uh, duking it out here. They're, these are like, they got some, uh, some experience under their belts. So we got a couple of names here. Austin Idol, uh, who gets actually quite a nice pop from the audience. And his blue tights and red boots look great. Uh, it kind of looks like, if you squint, he kind of looks like 1994 Hulk Hogan in 1986 Hulk Hogan tights. Why is it I kind of liken maybe not physique wise, but look just look wise overall to um, Billy Gra- superstar Billy Graham? I was I was channeling. I thought he was channeling. You thought he looked like Billy Graham, and I thought he looked like Hulk Hogan. So we both thought he looked like a muscled up bleach blonde, <laughs> <laughs> typical beach and, beach bum wrestler. Yeah, and I thought he was supposed to be a heel because of what Ivan Koloff said a couple of weeks ago on our last show. We met uh, Ivan Koloff puts him over. And says, you know, I like that Austin Idol. And I thought he was going to be working heel. And he's kind of heelish, but not really in this match, you'll notice. So he's, I have the note, just... uh, Austin Idol's getting cheered. I thought he was a heel. Because like, he cut that heel from him. Yeah. I think he is a heel. Because, uh, he, like, okay, so we'll, we'll go through the notes I have. Uh, oh, I also have this note that says if you squint, he kind of looks like uh, a WCW stunning Steve Austin as well. So I, w- I wonder. Yes, I, wonder I, did, the, I didn't think about that. Name, he does. If the name Genesis for Steve Austin had anything to do with Austin Idol, because he Austin also wore the long blonde beach bum hair. That is true. I didn't even make that connection, but um, I know I know that Austin just did after the uh, what was it the the, 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 the Bionic Man, man right? 
the six million dollar man because everybody's got a price. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, they roll around in the ring to start with a little bit of mat wrestling. They get to the ropes and Austin Idol lets him up. So this is the first uh, hint uh, of that Austin Idol actually is a heel because Cottle and Crockett are wondering if Austin Idol's going to give him a clean, like let him up clean or take a cheap shot, but he does let him up clean. And McGee hits him with a shooting takedown. Uh, when Idol is pounding on Scott McGee, he's yelling, get up, Flair, get up, Flair, kind of jacket, like pretending that he's Ric Flair while he wrestles him and then calling out Ric Flair, telling him, you know, send send a little message. And then, and then we'll see it. and then we'll see later how he finishes the match. Dude. Yes. Keep yes. going. Oh, yes. Okay. So they talk about how, uh, so Crockett and Cottle talk about how Scott McGee is a challenger for the junior heavyweight title. Idol hits a close fist punch, with the, which the announcers also admonish him for. Uh, and then tosses Scott McGee right out of the ring in a pretty vicious spot. And I, I noticed, by the way, about the throwing out of the ring, because it happened multiple times, I believe, on this show, that the wrestlers are very careful when they toss them out of the ring to do it through the middle ropes and not over the top. Because if I'm not mistaken, wasn't at this time that a disqualification? So I, I was wondering that? the exact same thing. I'm not sure if... If that, I, I, think so. I know over the top rope is disqualification in some territories. I don't know if oh. it is in mid-Atlantic. Um, okay. It might very well be in every territory, so it's kind of going to be a, a watch and see if it happens kind of thing. Because I know uh, Dusty Rhodes, you know, wherever Dusty Rhodes goes, that stupid Dusty finish where he gets tossed over the top rope and the thing gets turned around. So I'm pretty sure you can't. Like you said, because they're... they're they're very careful about how they throw them out, that it must be that over-the-top rope is a disqualification. But we haven't seen it yet. Yeah. We'll, take, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. So Austin Idol locks in the figure four. No escape from this, Cottle says, as Scott McGee taps in a very good match. I, I, I quite enjoyed this one. And I like how it's the opening match on Mid-Atlantic, and the finisher is kind of like an ode to the guy who just won the world's heavyweight championship belt who's from that area i like that he uses i think austin generally generally uses the figure four as his finisher anyway so it's, right so it's kind of like like who like like yeah maybe i should be the world's champion not rick flair kind of like when you said he taunted to a uh, a pretend flare in the ring in Scott. Well, we're gonna get we're gonna get a little bit a little bit of that Austin versus Flair a little later on. But let's move on. Now we have NWA Television Champion Ron Bass versus Jim Nelson. Uh, title is so he, my favorite jobber, by the way, Jim Nelson. I love. Him. It's like bald Nikolai Volkov. <laughs> so the television title is on the line. But it's kind of we were talking about this last week. It's but it's only during the first fifteen minutes. What a kooky rule this is. So after fifteen minutes, if Jim Nelson pinned Ron Bass, uh, he would not get the belt. But he'd get the winner's purse. That's and the winner's purse. Another, and then maybe yeah. another challenge for that. I like this concept because it's it's a belt that's supposed to be specific. Because mind you, wrestling at this point is still very novel to TV shows, you know? It's all about the house shows back then. So they said, how do we get people to tune in? You make a TV belt where it's like, okay, for this belt, you know, if you tune in, you might you might see a championship change hands. Right, you're not going to see a, a world title match very often, but you will see the TV title on the line, like every week. It's a great idea. 
Right, and it's kind of like a bullshit idea to make a, to force a champion to defend it every week. So it's like, okay, we'll give you a little a little leeway there because you have to defend it on every damn TV show. It's only available for the first fifteen minutes of the match. I love it. I love it. I like I like the idea in theory, and I, I was a huge fan of the WCW TV title uh, in the in the nineties. That was like my favorite title. Because it was great to see who had it, and the concept of having to defend it every single week—it was like a warrior's belt. When you had like a heels like Fit Finley and Steven Regal with it, it had a lot of. It kind of had prestige as well. TV title. Well, 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 but, it's of the same lineage. The, these two titles are—they're the same lineage. Oh yeah, the MHW yes, the, TV the, title. The, the, yep, the yep, the the history of those two belts are directly linked. So, but look, the, the one thing I don't get is, is like, this match is never going to be, why don't they just make it a 15 minute time limit match? It's never, we've never, we haven't even seen a match longer than 10 minutes. You're never going to get a 20 minute match where the guy gets the pinfall on the TV champion after the 15 minutes. Well, I, I'm sure it's uh, like, you know, it's a, it's a freebie. It's like, the, you know, that t-shirt that you shoot in the gun out into the audience, you know, it, it's a freebie. It's like, oh, okay, Ron Bass is there. We like Ron Bass. He's a, a good champion. And he puts up a meaningless title defense. But maybe once in a blue moon, you're like, holy shit, this, they, they actually got close to the 15-minute mark. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay, it's a freebie. Just like the t-shirt in the, in the can. But you yeah, the can. Okay. <laughs> out the belt. Yeah, sure. Like WWE shoots out belts to everybody on the roster. When's the last time anybody shot a t-shirt out of the cannon? Was it China? <laughs> I have no idea. NWA TV champ versus Tim, Jim Nelson. Here we go. Bass hits a big backdrop and an abdominal stretch, which I actually thought was going to end the match uh, really quick, but Jim Nelson powers out, and the announcers make a huge deal out of Jim Nelson even just being able to escape from the abdominal stretch. That actually made that like the high the high spot and the turning point of the match for Nelson, oh, which I thought was really he, interesting. Yeah, a lot of a lot of moves back then are like novel, so it's like okay, this is a big move because you don't see the, these moves often, and when they when you do, it's usually over. Nelson hits some legal forearms, uh, so he's hitting he's hitting fast with forearms, and Cottle and they're talking about how. Uh, like, oh, like, don't worry, folks, those forearms are all legal. And then he, and then Nelson punches him in the face, and Crockett says, well, that's not legal. <laughs> <laughs> and then I love Nelson that. takes it one step further and bites Ron Bass right in the head, of which, of which Crockett now has no comment. Bass no-sells some punches, uh, do a little bit of a hulk up, and he hits his big suplex, and then the power slam, making quick work of Jim Nelson uh, in a... Showcase I match, noticed a lot of the last um, one we saw with Hulk uh, ups. Yeah, I, I noticed a lot of matches end with Hulk ups in this uh, territory so far. That's the difference between the jobbers and the stars. The stars know how to Hulk up, and the jobbers don't. <laughs> if they had only and, learned uh, that... the Hulk up, then they like then you step your career up. Because even like Jay uh, Youngblood uh, hulks up, Ricky Steamboat hulks up, Ron Bass hulks up. Even bad, bad Leroy Brown hulks up. Only the faces can hulk up, and then the heels can cheat. And there's a lot of it. Like, um, I get, was Hulk Hogan the last guy to hulk up? I believe uh, 
I do believe. Who else hulked up after him? I do believe that what Eugene did a Hulk up. <laughs> We're not counting Eugene, are we? I, I guess Festus, we could. I think Festus may have done done a Hulk up. Uh, maybe Snitsky. <laughs> I guess we right. Hey, Eugene hulked up, man. He had he had uh, special people power. I don't know. I I, 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 uh, I, I guess we're politically correct on this show, so he had special power. Did Ron? Do you think Ron Bass invented the running power slam? No, I really I thought it was I Bulldog. So. I really thought it was Bulldog, but <laughs> wow, that, that move's been around for a while, huh? The running power. This is like last week when you saw a superplex on the second rope, and you said the grappler must have invented it. What? <laughs> Well, that actually is true. He did. No, he I looked didn't. it up. <laughs> Bullshit. He, the, the, he looked it up. He, look it up. I'm looking look it up right it. now. Yeah. The, the grappler invent. No, it's the not the super. grappler. It's the it, it's it's the super destroyer. Oh well, excuse me. The, 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 the other masked the, guy invent the the, the, super. the no the grappler's the the shorter guy the super destroyer. Is the guy like that move was not done a lot back then? Holy He's probably the shit, first guy to right. do it as a finisher. Well, no shit. Why would I have said it if I wasn't right? I don't know. You say a lot of things. <laughs> oh. Why would I have said Who it? Who did the first, what very I'm... first top rope uh, version of the superplex was done by uh, the Dynamite Kid as well? A little bit of more trivia, but yeah, you're right. Yeah, like, like but yeah, like Ron Bass. He. This is now his third show in a row where he has finished the match with the running power slam. And I'm like, man, that is an awesome move. I've always loved it. And I'm just happy to, again, see it used in such a, in like in the territory days. Did you, uh, did you notice how Ron Bass got a, a one, two, three, a three count right in the middle of the ring? I wonder if he invented that. Because I thought the three count was invented by Humberto Carrillo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious how Humberto Carrillo saves us all from COVID-19. If you can. Hey, that story. Oh no, I guess that story's over. Anyway, let's let's move on here. Uh, we got in the back with Scott McGee. Oh no 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 no. Sergeant Slaughter taking on Frank Monty. Uh, so this is like a rematch. This is exactly the same uh, as last week, was it not? Did he not fight Frank Monty last week? Uh no, I believe he took out. I believe he took out some – because all these jobbers make the rounds, which, by the way, must be good, steady work for them. Sure. But they, they're not like – they're not doing repeat matches, but they are essentially doing the same thing. They're losing to these bigger stars that come in. Well, it's Frank Monty versus Sergeant Slaughter. Sarge works a huge top wrist lock, which dominates the entire first half of the match, a wrist lock. Then he runs in headfirst into the turnbuckle, which is actually a pretty cool spot. So he kind of bulldogs him. It's like a bulldog. But he's not leaned over. He's just standing up. And then he runs him headfirst into the turnbuckle. Hits a backbreaker for two. Frank Monty gets a little bit of offense. But Sarge dumps him out of the ring. And he hits his big clothesline. And then locks in the Cobra Clutch uh, for Monty. So Sarge looks absolutely unstoppable in this match. Yeah, Frank Monty is the third victim to Sergeant Slaughter. First was uh, Davis. And then was Ron Ritchie. And now it's Frank Monty. One for the core. <laughs> Wasn't he actually singing like uh, one of the like the Marine Corps songs at the end of it as he had the Cobra Clutch uh, clutched in? Oh, I don't think I don't. That would be awesome. It, yeah, I think he was singing like na 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 na. What's that song? He probably invented that song. I, I never heard it before. That. <laughs> in the back with Scott McGee, he says Austin Idol deserves respect for his great comp. 
competition he gave him. Then uh, Cottle asks him about his amateur wrestling background, and he says, "So he says uh, because his father told him, he said because he'll never be big. His father told him he has to have the the greatest technique, which is pretty interesting." And then he puts over Flair and Steamboat, says he's inspired by those guys. Cottle asks him who he would like to wrestle, and McGee says, "Of course, he'd like to wrestle the heavyweight champion because he's here to." If you have the chance for the belt, you got to take it. So he'd uh, he'd like to wrestle Ric Flair. And I just thought, imagine if people in the WWE were concerned about becoming the heavyweight champion of the world, <laughs> like they should be, and even and even and even qualifying for a match against said uh, world champion. Like, like just like a like a, like a prove your like a prove yourself match. Who's like a WWE mid carder today? Humberto Carrillo. Well, we'll and then, like, instead of, of saying, like, when they ask, uh, if, like, Charlie asks Humberto Carrillo in the back, like, who do you want to wrestle? And he thinks, like, oh, I could wrestle Drew McIntyre for the heavyweight championship of the world because that's why I entered wrestling. Or I can fight, uh, or I can fight Armando, what, what's that, what's the other, uh, Angel Garza for the 12th time because he said something bad about my girlfriend. I, I like how in this era they always keep it focused. It's all about that damn heavyweight title. All the belts so they're constantly are, are, putting are very right. Important. So right, they're constantly putting each other over in the sense, like even the in the uh, backstage segments where it's like, yes, I, I was trained. I have some familiarity with Ric Flair, and uh, actually McGee was trained a bit by Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat, which is probably why he puts them over. And he's like, yeah, I would like to challenge Ric Flair one day for that title. And it's, that's what it's all about, being the world's heavyweight champion. That is what it's all about. And the pay window, also quite important. We go to the grappler and the inventor of the superplex. The super destroyer are in action versus Weaver and Richie. So like you said, those uh, they're not jobbers necessarily because they're, they, they, they are here every week. And sometimes... We'll see that they even can get uh, a promo every once in a while, which is nice. So this match starts with a nice crisscross spot with a tag. So the uh, the faces actually take early control, and in the middle of the crisscross, the, the Weaver tags Richie, who jumps in the ring and completes the crisscross, which I which I thought was a pretty neat. The masked baddies. I love this match. Yeah. Yeah, I actually did like this one. The masked baddies are getting their butts kicked here by the faces. A lot of arm drags. Uh, Abaref. Gets distracted. Weaver as, is the man. Abaref gets distracted as the heels carry out a two-on-one. They go to the second rope for another 15-foot superplex. After the match, they have an... So, and that superplex uh, gets the win, as he did... And he wasn't the legal man, the cheater. Yes, so, yeah. So that's the story, is that he wasn't the legal man, but he did collect the pinfall. And after the match... Jake Roberts is hanging around outside who complains to the Disco Inferno's dad about how they made an illegal tag. <laughs> Sorry, the Disco Inferno's dad's name is uh, Sonny Fargo. He's the, he's the referee. But uh, the decision stands. Uh, also, all, also a tag team specialist himself back in his heyday. He's won nu- numerous uh, tag team championships with the, uh, with the fantastic Fargos. And he also won a gold ribbon at Studio 54 for his work with the Bee Gees. <laughs> this isn't as this is not uh, football. There are no instant replays, so the ref's decision stands. But Jake Roberts is outside whining about how the heels cheated, which I gotta say is a pretty bad look. No, 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 no. Back then, that's like 
what the fuck is going on? Like back in those days, you you it's like what are you doing with the freaking illegal tags? You're not supposed to be the legal. You're not the legal he guy. So get the hell out of them. You still what? He told on them. He tattletailed to Sonny Fargo. Well, Sonny, I guess Sonny Fargo should be fine. He, how could he not notice that one of them has a shirt, a, a one piece on, and the other person has no shirt on? <laughs> just because just they're both masks doesn't mean you can't distinguish them. Also, the Super Destroyer weighs like 100 extra pounds on the grappler. <laughs> yeah, he's bigger. He does a, he does a superplex every time. Hey, Sonny Fargo's old. He gets confused. All right? If, if he, You can tell by the way that he uses his walk that he's a woman's man and he has no time to pay attention <laughs> to who's the legal man in the ring. <laughs> the, uh, they fair go fair the, enough. So they go to the back and the grappler says that Jake Roberts is a marked man now. So the grappler's cutting his promo on the, and I know I'm, I'm doing the hand motions even though they, we're not on camera, but the grappler's cutting the promo and the Super Destroyer's just walking around pointing. <laughs> down, points to the I roof, noticed that. Points I to noticed the audience. that too. Yeah. It's so funny. I, I like this. Uh, I gotta say, uh, I, I gotta emphasize, empathize a little bit with the heels here. Like, I hope that they kick Jake Roberts' ass. No, 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 no. You gotta be, you gotta put, remember, we're in a time machine right now. We got to put our minds not in today's world. You got to go. You think about what happened back, in Jake the Snake Roberts era in his high school if he told the teacher. He'd get the fucking shit kicked out of him. Excuse me. No, no, it's cheating. They didn't do that back then. It was supposed to be honorable. It's like, kind of like with Austin Idol. He's a heel and he kind of did like, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm running towards the ropes sort of cowardly. But he kind of kept, kept it a pretty legit match you know he didn't cheat miss crandall he hit me with a closed fist punch <laughs> you forgot to give us homework he didn't tag in <laughs> uh okay so what do we have now we're going to the back for a, so it's a series of promo after the grappler and the super destroyer points his way and dances off the screen. Austin Idol comes out and says, and cuts a nice little promo saying that his cockles are warmed now that Ric Flair is the champion because now Austin Idol can get him one-on-one for the belt. Uh, he wants to hit him with the Las Vegas leg lock, which I guess is his figure, his version I of figure like four. That. This guy is awesome. He does. Well, I like how they distinguish between the two figure fours earlier in the show. We didn't point to that. Uh, we all know how Ric Flair does his, but... Austin Idol kind of does his really old school where he doesn't wrap around your body. He it's just wraps sit. your legs around his body. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's cool. Uh, so, like, this, this is what this is all about. Like, just discovering these, these guys uh, that I've, I've never really seen work before. So, it's cool to see, like, the guys that I do know that are younger, like Piper and Steamboat. But it's awesome to see these guys that I've never seen before, like Austin Idol, who uh, really, like... I, I really, he was my favorite part of this whole show. He looks like he's a, a good contender for a Ric Flair title defense. I'm wondering if down the line we'll hear about something like well, that. Well, if it does, I, if it does happen, I hope. Hello. Uh oh, your audio pause audio cut out no i just i just hit the pause button so we have we've yet to even see oh. flair on uh, nwa or on macw tv yet 
He, although the episodes are missing for next week, he does show up. Ah. I think Dusty Rhodes shows up too. Ole Anderson has up next, and he's pissed that Ric Flair has the belt. He says it won't be long if Flair is dumb enough to wrestle him because he's going to take the title right away uh, as soon as he can get in the ring with Ric Flair, and that'll be it. And then Ole Anderson says, <laughs> basically, he talks about all the people he hates, which is Jake Roberts, that tattletale. Uh, Bass and Leroy Brown, and even Jay Youngblood, he hates that guy too. And he's actually he's well. I, I noticed. I noticed what's going on here with Ole Anderson. Um, so on our past show, we were trying to talk about the uh, tag team championships. The reason why there was some confusion there is because the Minnesota Wrecking Crew are the champions. By the, the way, NWA tag champions, team champions. Right? And by the way, that shares the same lineage with the WCW tag team championship. So uh, also and, this. yeah, yeah. And but unfortunately, at this time when we started, or when this uh, when these videos start on the WWE Network, Gene Anderson is injured. He's legitimately injured, and they're just trying to figure out, crap, what do we do with Ole in the meantime? Uh, yeah, so actually we get we get, do get to touch on that uh, in the next episode, in the middle of October. Uh, so I guess we'll yes. come back to that when that happens. Yes. Yeah, so we have Jake and Leroy Brown teaming up together against Rick Harris and Mike Miller, who thankfully this time they have their names displayed, so I don't have to go and uh, look it up. Uh, so one time they display these guys' names, and then that never happens again. Jake and Leroy take turns beating the piss out of these two guys, tagging in and out. Leroy no-sells some punches, and then he becomes a maniac on the floor as his hulk-up is like Kevin Bacon's Dirty Dancing. It's fantastic. Yeah, this was... I like how they... I like how the faces really get the crowd pumped up. You know, they do their, their taunts, as it were, and it's just really exciting for me. Jake hits the big knee. We go back to Leroy, who hits the viscera, Big Daddy viscera splash. And it is all she wrote. Uh, Jake and Leroy, absolutely dominant here. Very good look for these uh, stars that they're trying to establish because um, neither of them are big, big stars, I believe, at this point. Well, I mean, at least in this territory. Hmm. Uh, we go to the back, and Jim Nelson has a promo. So we're even letting these uh, journeymen cut the promos here and he wants Ron Bass again uh, and then Bob Cottle's like are you sure <laughs> and he's like didn't that, <laughs> didn't that power slam like just destroy you knock all the wind out of you and, and Jim Nelson says yeah what do you expect it's a 300 pound man and power slamming me that's <laughs> pretty funny uh, Harrison Miller out now to complain about how uh, so this was really funny Harrison Miller out now to complain about how the uh, the faces Jake and Leroy uh had used two on one on them. Like, he's like, they were attacking us with a two on one. And then Cobble's like, that wasn't two guys. <laughs> bad, bad Leroy Brown just weighs 350 pounds. Yeah, that's three on one. <laughs> bad, bad Leroy Brown is like two people. That's like, three on one. Oh, that's it was three on two right says, there. It was only one guy, but it probably felt like three guys. <laughs> <laughs> It's nice to see these guys get the get the promos even after they lose. I like it. I like because it gives I them so much more because, value the next time they get in the ring. Yeah, and I think it's also because they're trying to see if maybe there is something to work with in the future, or are these guys just going to be developmental? Well, even if they are maybe, developmental, who knows? They, it, it lets you think that, like at least they're wrestlers, right? Like they get the same treatment as the other guys. Yes. And we go to our main event. It is Jay Youngblood versus Ole Anderson. I would say that this is the uh, biggest one-on-one -on -one match to date that we have seen as it's two uh, huge stars for the company here. 
And I can't wait for Youngblood to get his hands on Ole Anderson after all that sneaking and plotting and scheming. The grappler comes out on commentary and he uh, starts bitching and moaning about Jake the Snake Roberts, uh, which is pretty funny, as he just can't let it go. He just cut a promo on him on the back. And it wasn't enough. He's going to come out. And he's not even talking about the match. He's just complaining about Jake Roberts again. He's like, I can't I believe like that. The hell with you. the match. He just can't believe that Roberts faked him out like a little bitch. <laughs> he deserved to be. He's a, he's a bloody cheater. And back then, that's like a cardinal sin. Ole Anderson works the arm to start the match against Jay Youngblood and tosses Youngblood out of the ring, which is the third toss out to the floor that we've seen on this one show. Grappler gets involved, but only to toss Jay Youngblood back in the ring, which I thought was a little strange. Like, he doesn't take a cheap shot or anything. Yeah, I wonder if that would have been grounds for a DQ back then to, like, uh, just simply throw them back in the ring like a lumberjack. I'm not sure. The face-heel divide on, in the company, though, is real, as all the heels like each other and all the faces like each other, and that's it. Love it. Yes. Uh, main event anywhere in the world, Cottle says. As Jay fights back with chops, Ole goes back in control and hits a big elbow for two. Jay gets a bit of a fight here with a huge drop kick and he starts getting fired up. But the grappler now just gets in the ring and it's two on one. So Disco Inferno Sr. calls for the bell and uh, that is it. A very disappointing uh, finish. I would like to see a couple more minutes as these guys are only able to interact for about four minutes before it is just thrown out. Ole Anderson, I believe, is the booker at this point. Um, and I think he's just trying to involve himself in the storyline somewhat because he doesn't have his, his teammate with him because he's legitimately injured. And, uh, he, and because he's a dastardly heel, I figured he's like, you know what, let's, I'll, I don't care if I get disqualified. Let's just throw mm. it out. Well, that was, that was what I think was the mentality going into that. He's a, so he, like, at this point, he's like a two-time NWA champion like a seven-time tag team champion so it's like you, oh that's what's sad about this this unfortunately we'll never get to see the minnesota wrecking crew because this is their last reign as tag champs and we never get to see them because gene's out with an injury and that's is that the end of his career then uh i didn't check to see if that was the end of uh gene's career but that is the last time those two together hold those belts Okay, so uh, that is the end of the show as uh, Roberts and Jake come out and it's kind of just a three-on-three Donnybrook. Right, we're going to get you. We're, we're, ba- we're bound together. We're, you know, <laughs> four strands of rope from the three ninjas type of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what did you think of this show on the whole? I loved it. I love that we finally got to see two big names square off at the end, although it was a schmoz finish. Um, I like to see the heels backing up the heels and kind of putting them over. I like to see, likewise, with the faces. To me, it's very entertaining because this is what I think the dynamic of wrestling should be. It's like it's uh, it's like a, a comic book of, of these like forces of nature. Like, yeah, like we're the good guys. They're the bad guys, and we band together. Sorry, I said Ole Anderson was NWA champion, but that is incorrect. But I do have a list of the titles that he has held. So listen to this uh, pedigree here. 
AWA Midwest Heavyweight Champion twice. AWA Midwest Tag Team Champions twice. NWA Florida Tag Team Champion once with Ron Garvin. NWA Florida Television Champion. NWA Georgia Tag Team Championship 17 times. And we complain And we complain about the New Day. Seven times with Gene Anderson, five with Ivan Koloff, uh, one with Rene Goulet, <laughs> one with Jerry Briscoe. He was two-time Georgia television champion. Uh, we go to the Mid-Atlantic. So he had the NWA Atlantic Coast Tag Team Championships four times, the Eastern States Heavyweight Championship one time, the Mid-Atlantic Tag Team Championships three times, the National Tag Team Championships once with Arn Anderson, and the NWA World Tag Team Championships eight times, seven with Gene Anderson. <laughs> oh my God, um, I'm not. I so when I was looking at the NWA champions at, in this era, there's like forty of them. I guess because it's, it's all the different companies. And, and it's also because these guys really did defend that belt every day. I yeah. looked up a list of uh, NWA heavyweight championship title defenses and there's a championship defense every fucking day wow like no kidding crazy every day now obviously they're house shows but these guys were made like you know how they we had all these podcasts where they say you didn't go up and down the road like me i remember this and that they weren't lying these guys wrestled every freaking day okay so that wraps up september 26th and now uh, we would move on to the first week of October, but that show is missing, and so is the second week. The next time we can join Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling on the WWE Network is the October 17th edition, 1981. But you said you have some information on the things that have transpired between these two shows. Yes, so um, I have the results for the next week's show, the th- which would have been Saturday, the 3rd of October. All right. Um, and... It- it's your same run-of-the-mill show, but you got Piper. He comes out. He's still taunting uh, Wahoo McDaniels because of what he did to him with Abdullah the Butcher. He's, like, banging on a trash can, pretends like a drum, making fun of his heritage. So uh, you that, got the there results was that of the show scene. that told you what happened in the promo? Yeah, this is like literally the whole thing. That's cool. Yep. Um, the first match was Sergeant Slaughter versus, it just says a jobber. <laughs> and I'm sure it's just the same spiel where he does his thing. He gets Slaughter the okay. rib breaker, the clothesline, and yeah. uh, most likely the uh, Cobra Clutch. And then here we go. The NWA World's Champion Rick Flair comes out, and he just basically does the you know, the, the typical, like, hometown, I'm happy to be a champion. I'm going to try to be a great champion and a great athlete. Match number two, Jay Youngblood and Wahoo McDaniel. So Wahoo McDaniel cleared He's to back. wrestle. Okay. He's back, baby. And they take on jobbers Charlie Fulton and Jim Nelson, my favorite. My, my favorite, favorite one, to yeah. the I, My favorite one is the big <laughs> cowboy guy. Uh, ah, big cowboy guy. Mike, uh, what's his name? Anyway, we'll go, he, he's on the next show. So yeah. We'll talk about it then. Okay. Yes. Um, so, obviously, they win their match. Um, and then we have, once again, Super Destroyer and the Grappler. They take out Frank Monty and someone, I believe, from Turkey, Sivi Afi. He's I'm on probably the next show as well. Yeah. So, I like, how the, I like how the developmental talent 
they make the rounds, you know? It's like, okay, we're losing every week, but we're still getting TV time and we're putting in work against other guys. And maybe sometimes it's not a flat-out squash, you know? Right. Maybe sometimes they actually get some offense in. Yeah. Uh, so, anyway, after that match, Bob Cottle interviews Wahoo McDaniel, Ron Bass, Leroy Brown, and Dusty Rhodes. And it's the same spiel. They're, you say we're, we're bound together. We're going to get you. And even Dusty Rhodes comes out and joins in on it. Wait, and he's basically and says, Rhodes? Dusty Rhodes comes out. He's got a Walkman on. He's wearing a Sony Walkman. He's listening to his music. He just come player, out. And he's dancing. <laughs> and Dusty Rhodes just says, hey, listen, Ric Flair, you got the best of me. By the way, the reason why Ric Flair won that title was not because he hit him with that suplex that you mentioned, which was a really good uh, suplex off that turnbuckle, if I'm not mistaken. But it was because prior to signing that match, Dusty Rhodes was already signed to face Harley Race. And I guess there must have been a, a feud going on between those two, and his mind was on Harley Race during the title defense. So he had his mind in two different places. He couldn't concentrate, where all Ric Flair had to do was concentrate on winning that belt. That's why it happened. This yes. is Flair's first uh, Matt, title, right? First yes, sir. Title. This is his first world's title. Hi, so Dusty Rhodes is back, though. He's get Dusty Rhodes is getting his uh, his uh, flavor back. He he's in match number four against Ricky Harris. Makes quick work of him with an elbow drop, baby. This and just then, in. Uh, the Sony Walkman debuted in nineteen seventy nine. <laughs> Oh wow! So so this is the hippest thing on the on in the world right now. Like this is only two years later. Oh uh, yeah, it's it's got to be a pretty expensive piece of tech for the day. It's got to be like the, um, like the modern iPhone. Right, exactly, exactly. So um, the next thing is the it's just some local promos for their local shows coming up based on where you were. You saw different uh, yeah commercials. We're gonna get a little taste of that. Yep. And then match five, you got Roddy. And this is the main event. Roddy Piper and Ivan Koloff, who is still your reigning Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Championship uh, champion, they defeat Steve Muslin, I probably butchered that last name, and Ron Ritchie. Okay. And um, Roddy Piper, he's playing his bagpipes, calling it a funeral song for Wahoo, because I guess their feud is not over yet. And... Uh, after, uh, so after they win the match, they start beating on him. They beat on Steve Muslim and Ron Ritchie after. Wahoo comes out, chopping everybody in the ring to make the save. And it ends with uh, Ricky Steamboat and Jake Roberts talking to Bob Cottle, saying that, yes, Piper is a coward. And Jake Roberts saying, see, this is what we need. We need to band together. So more of that camaraderie. And that's your show for the third. Okay, great. And also now, at uh, yeah. Also, we had uh, Sergeant Slaughter capture the United States title between these two shows. Is that right? You are correct, sir. So on the very next night on Sunday, there was a tournament held in North Car- uh, excuse me, Charlotte, North Carolina, and this was for the vacant U.S. heavyweight title because, as you recall, uh, Wahoo McDaniel was forced to vacate that title due to the attacks by Roddy Piper and Abdullah the Butcher. So they had a a big tournament. In the first round, we have Pat Patterson versus Mike David. Patterson wins. 
Second match is Nikolai Volkov against Ricky Steamboat. Steamboat wins. Wow. Bad, bad Leroy Brown against the Super Destroyer. Brown would win that match. So I guess, yeah, I guess he's not superplexing any more Brown. <laughs> Ron Bass, your television champion against Ivan Koloff, your mid-Atlantic heavyweight champion. Ooh, Koloff would big... win that Oh, match. so uh, something that I, I didn't know is that so uh, they've considered the NWA US title to have more weight than the mid-Atlantic world title. That I am not. Oh, wait, I am surprised to hear that. Oh, wow. I did not know that. Wow. So it was more coveted prize than uh, the Mid-Atlantic's championship that Koloff has. I, I, I guess that makes sense because that was fought over between all the territories. Where exactly. Yeah, exactly. Was just the United US. States. So okay. the Mid-Atlantic was the champion of the Mid-Atlantic, but the United States champion was the champion of the United States. So I got you. Per- makes perfect sense. Yes. So we got Sergeant Slaughter taking on Johnny Weaver, the master, the original master of the arm drag, the deep arm. He invented it, didn't he? Sergeant Slaughter. He must have. Um, <laughs> I, I, actually, I think Johnny, we- actually, Johnny Weaver was the first person to utilize the sleeper hold as a finisher. How about that? Okay. <laughs> I don't believe you, but go, go on. <laughs> Dude, you can look. I'm not making this. I'm looking it up. So, Sergeant Slaughter beats Johnny Weaver. Uh-huh. Uh, then it's Steve Steve Muslim taking on John, Jay Youngblood. Youngblood would get the victory. So, all the stars are going over, as you can see. Okay. Then we have former heavyweight champion Dusty Rhodes taking on uh, Rene Goulet, who is known at this point as Jacques Goulet. And uh, Goulet would actually go over and beat Dusty Rhodes. I guess Dusty Rhodes is in a funk right now. Yeah, it looks like it. Or, per- or perhaps there might have been interference. Who knows? It could have been interference. Uh, Ron Ritchie it takes on Ole Anderson. Anderson beats Ron Ritchie. So that was the first round. Next okay. round, next round, you've got Steamboat going over Patterson. Way to go for Patterson putting over Steamboat. I have here that the sleeper was invented by Gory Guerrero. Well, not invented. I said first to use it as a finisher. First use it as a finisher. First use it as a finisher. Not invented. First use it as a finisher. (laughs) All right. Next, uh, Brown actually beats Ivan Koloff. So I'm wondering what went on there to allow uh, Bad Bad Leroy Brown to defeat the Mid-Atlantic heavyweight champion, Ivan Koloff. Yeah, that's a big win. That is a big win. Sergeant Slaughter takes out Youngblood. I'm not surprised there because Slaughter's a big, big guy. I'm not surprised that he beats Jay Youngblood either as he wins the tournament. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm pretending I don't know the results yet. (laughs) I I, I spoiled it. Here's the kicker. uh, Rene Goulet, a.k.a. Jacques Goulet, and Ole Anderson ends in a double disqualification. Oh, a bye round. Yes, a buy round for Slaughter as a result. So it's no wonder he the whole thing. He was fresh. Yes. So in the semifinal, in the semifinal, in the only semifinal match, uh, Steamboat beats Bad Bad Leroy Brown. I bet that was a great. That must have been great face versus face. I love face versus face matches, especially in tournaments. You, you, it's win win for the for the fans. Yeah. And of right. course, Sergeant Slaughter beats Steamboat to win. The vacant U.S. heavyweight title. This is October 4th, 1981. Big win for Slaughter, too, over Steamboat. Yeah, he almost had to beat 
full four guys. We only had to beat three. Lucky him. All right. Anything else before we move on to October seventeenth? Um, the oh, no, that that's that's about it. Everything else is pretty much uh, covered. At least the next show will go back and cover it themselves. Okay, so, uh, so we have new United States NWA champion, Sergeant Slaughter. We open our October 17th show, as usual, at the Action Center with Crockett and Coddle, where they say that Jimmy Valiant is here in, in Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Tonight we will see Youngblood versus Piper. Hold on, let me close this door here, get a little bit of construction noise. We have Youngblood versus Piper. Holy smokes, that is a huge match. And they talk about new U.S. champion, Sergeant Slaughter. What happened? Well, Justin just told you, Sergeant Slaughter defeated Ricky Steamboat in a tournament for the title in Charlotte, North Carolina. Woo! The city that Ric Flair invented. Jake and Youngblood uh, come out, and Jake says that the tag team, he's once again tattling like a little baby, says that the tag team titles have not been defended for 60 days. So they are 30 days past due. The NWA tag I love that line. I do like that, yeah. The NWA tag champs are Ole and Gene Anderson, who are on their seventh tag team title reign since 1970. And uh, Jay Youngblood slags off Loudmouth Piper, and he stumbles through a pretty wretched promo. But thankfully, Roddy Piper comes out to give Jay Youngblood a little, bit, a little lesson in cutting a promo. I felt bad for Jake Roberts standing in the background trying to give him moral support, and all he can do is kind of like give that goofy smile, like, please, come on, pick it up, pick up the pace. You're, you're kind of drowning here. And Feast I'm your drowning with you. Feast your ears on this. Speak of the devil and up he pops. That's right. I'll tell you one thing, mister. I'm sick and tired of having people like you come out here and badmouth me. You see, I don't know you, you little squaw, and I don't give a darn about you. I already beat up one Indian. Wahoo McDaniels, nothing. Now you say you're such a tough man. Your whole family squaws? I wouldn't stand here and let nobody talk to me like that. I don't say that I'm tough. I prove myself in the ring. I don't have to come out here and yell like you. Make a fool out of myself. I proved myself in the ring, uh, brother. Okay, yeah. let's see. Just let me just second, just a second. Let's just see how tough you are, then, Mr. J. Youngblood. Let's see how much you got. We got all kinds of millions of people watching right now. That's so right. why don't we get in the ring and finish it once and for all and make it a death match? In other words, we'll just fight until nobody can fight no more. Or where's all them squaw guts you both to have? You don't. Holy smokes, Roddy Piper is incredible. My God. He's. I am not surprised that Vince McMahon got him as soon as he did because you can clearly see he's a cut. I know we said this last week, but it's so damn true. He's a cut above the rest. He yes. So Piper calls Jay Youngblood a squaw and says that he wants a death match. I have here. Piper comes out of every segment looking like a million dollars. Like every segment he's in, he looks better than everybody else that's that's standing with him. He's just so. He's big. He's big, he's muscular, he's got physique, he's got style, the way he dresses with his uh, particular clothing because he's got the kilt. Even when he had the suit on, he looks good. He's a god on the mic. He's got it all. He's got freaking bagpipe, too. And when the bell rings, he, he's an absolute lunatic. Like, I wouldn't want... Like, he might... He, so, famously, he's Hulk Hogan's first, like, WrestleMania opponent, and Hogan's three times the size of him. But you... You kind of believe that Piper would just rip his eyeballs out. Like, he, he seems so scary. I wouldn't want to... This is the guy on the roster that I would least want to fuck with. Well, Hogan, in real life, probably couldn't fuck with Roddy Piper. 
<laughs> like, like if, they, if they actually fought, I'm pretty sure Roddy Piper would knock the crap. No disrespect, but it's true. So David Crockett says that Piper cannot change the rules. He can't just ask for a death match. Uh, he mentions that Abdullah is suspended, and if Piper isn't careful, he will be sp- suspended as well. Um, I'm sorry. Wait, that- wait, 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 wait. N- notice how David Crockett goes out of his way to say that, as opposed to nowadays, where they just seem to make it up as they go along every damn week. Hey, just like us. That's what we do, too. Handsome the Jimmy Valiant is coming up. They give us a little taste of uh, a video as Handsome Jimmy Valiant is debuting here. So let's get a little bit of that uh, Jimmy Valiant funky music and talk about him, Handsome Jimmy Valiant. So a, uh, <laughs> a long-time wrestler, Jimmy Valiant started wrestling in 19... 19- 64 as Big Jim Valen. He went to the Worldwide Wrestling Federation in the 70s as handsome Jimmy Valiant, teaming with his brother. Then he was over in the WWA where he was managed by Bobby Heenan. And in the 70s, he was a central player in Memphis, Tennessee, feuding with Jerry Lawler and uh, dominating the tag team division there. He even recorded a song, The Ballad of Handsome Jimmy, which was used in wrestling arenas and very popular uh, and, and heavily requested song on the radio. In the early 80s, he returned as a babyface to Jim Crockett Promotions, and that's where we are right now. The Boogie Woogie Man, Jimmy Valiant, who I'm very excited to see, as I used to love this guy. My grandfather is my favorite wrestler. He's infectious. I, I can tell why he's a good face to have come into the territory at this time. I mean, he like the way he uh, comes out. He's got the charisma. He's high fiving the crowd. I, I like it. So after the break, we have Jimmy Valiant, the Boogie Woogie Man, in the ring. Uh, they have. He's going to be taking on Justin's favorite jobber, Jim. The Crow Nelson. I don't know why I'm calling him the Crow. <laughs> the crowd is loving the Boogie Woogie Man, the man from New York. This guy's career was long, and he was very famous. Yes, I just read that to you. Uh, Valiant's ass <laughs> is promoting FM 100. That FM 100 means music. He's got an advertisement for this radio station on his butt. He hits a mean drop. So Jimmy Valiant wrestles, uh, when he wrestles, he's constantly in motion. Like, he never stops moving. It reminds me of uh, Polka Dot Dusty Rhodes, where it's more like of a dance instead of a wrestling match. I like how they all get that from uh, Cassius Clay. I love it. Yes, yeah, very very good uh, comparison there. So Nelson grabs uh, some hair from uh, Jimmy Valiant, but eats an elbow smash from Jimmy. That puts him away quickly. And you were saying that Valiant has a pretty nice dropkick, yes? Um, elbow, drop elbow. Elbow, elbow, yeah, not a drop kick. Uh, the big elbow smash, yes, good stuff. So this uh, this whole ordeal lasts about two minutes, but uh, very fun, very exciting, and I'm, I'm happy to see more as uh, legendarily Jimmy Valiant will feud, an unending feud with Paul Jones' army that we will have to endure. So enjoy it. Enjoy it for now before that happens. And a pretty well put together vignette by Mid Atlantic, you know, I was for thinking like nineteen. How hard it must have been to edit a video back in in those days. Oh man, the tapes you had to go through. Oh, yeah, it was like sitting sitting in a room with twenty VHS tapes and using fast forward and rewind to find all the stuff that you want. I hope they had air, air conditioning in that room. So the video was like, uh... it was long. Yeah, it was long. Some footage of him wrestling, uh, some footage of him playing guitar at a concert, some footage of him punching Ric Flair in the head, some footage of him getting out of a limo. 
Like NWO? It was the entire length of, of his song. Of yes, his it was, entrance. yeah. <laughs> All right, next match. It's Roddy Piper versus Jay Youngblood. Another high-profile match. And this time, we are going to get some uh, meat and potatoes on the table here as they are going to go all the way. Um, this is going to be the longest match that we've seen on MACW with the biggest stars. So very exciting stuff here. I'm going to go through the commentary, but I want to say that I'm very surprised that this is not the main event. I was surprised too, but based on how they w wanted it to end, uh, then it makes sense. So Piper comes out uh, before the match and says if he wins, he'll play the bagpipes, which gets uh, some hisses and jeers from the audience. Another awesome look for Piper as he is in a red hot rod t-shirt with red kilt and bright red boots. He takes off his stuff and he's wearing the tartan trunks underneath, which I think are really cool. So these tartan trunks are uh, white and green instead of the are white and red instead of the uh, yellow and green that he was wearing last week. So also, Piper, not only miles above everybody else in terms of promo, but also has multiple costumes. This is the fourth outfit we've seen him in in four weeks. Now, for those, for those listening that are not aware, wrestlers are have always, I think, been in charge of their own attire. Mm. It's not provided by the company at right. all. So this is all Roddy Piper's doing to say, I want to have multiple outfits. I like his, uh, his, his selection here. So, And his attention to detail. The Indian, this Indian's temper is already up, Coddle says. <laughs> they just keep calling him the Indian. I've got to be honest, but between the squaw comment and then the... In, I, was, I got a little bit uncomfortable. I did. <laughs> I did. They, they say it in the... I mean, they're... They say it in. I want to say like endearingly. Like okay, when Piper calls him. I know him what a, you mean. Like, I know what you mean. Squaw. That's obviously not. But like when Coddle's like, this <laughs> Indian's temper is really riled up. I think he's just like, since this guy's Indian, <laughs> you kick your ass. Kind of, like like you. You right. mean it in a bad way. But anyway, I I don't want to I don't want to dig into that. You got to judge these things yeah. in the time that they were recorded, right? It was stylish at the time. It was the, it was the style at the time. Give it two Bs for a nickel, they'd say. Some nice mat wrestling in Youngblood's favor as he tousle, tousles Piper's hair. Is that the word? Tassel? Which is very insulting. And then he dumps him. Uh, Piper. So that causes Piper to just grab Youngblood by the hair and toss him out of the ring through the ropes. Um, back in the ring, they trade... Even offense until Jay gets the upper hand and throws Piper outside, and Piper tries to call for a timeout, which causes Coddle and Crockett to lose their minds about how there is no timeouts in wrestling. <laughs> Roddy Piper already a great, great at work in the heel angle. So fantastic test of strength here. Uh, so they have a test of strength, which in my, to me, like the first thing I thought of is that these two guys having a test of strength in the middle of the ring is more exciting than seven curb stomps. Agreed. Jay Youngblood hits an absolutely thunderous chop. Oh my god. It's surprising that I didn't hear more about Jay Youngblood's chops uh, throughout my wrestling fandom because these things, it sounds like a fucking bolt of lightning going off. If only we hadn't lost him so soon. That's probably what the, it was. Like the acoustics of the room or what, but man, oh lord. Uh, I wouldn't want to get hit with one of these. It sounded like Indiana Jones's bullwhip. Oh, wow. Yes, great comparison, because there's really no, no bullshit. Piper starts working the back, locking in a bear hug, but Jay escapes the bear hug with a headbutt. 
which causes Piper to thumb him in the eye. Somehow, uh, in all this uh, action and excitement, Piper is bleeding from the head. He hits a big slam and an elbow for two. This Indian refuses to be pinned, Coddle says. So this must this must be really big back then to see a lot of two counts because probably it was like a one count, a two count, and then simply a three count back in those days. Right. Yeah. So to see multiple two counts, to see multiple two counts is like, whoa, Jesus Christ! He's, he's, he's well, we'll we'll guy. see as we go along. You know, like because people say that uh, that Piper, or sorry, that uh, Steamboat and Macho Man had the the they didn't do too many two counts before that, but that might just be part of the myth. You know, we, we will live and learn as we go along. That's what we're here for, right? Yes, sir. Um, they trade chops and punches as we pass the nine-minute mark. Piper hits a knee to the face. That gets a two. Piper with a headbutt, and after he delivers the headbutt, takes a flare flop right in the middle of the ring. Uh, both men are down, and the bell rings as it is a time limit draw. This is, without a doubt, the best uh, match we've seen so far in MACW. Yes? No? Yes? No? Yeah, I have to give this match like five stars based on like everything else we've seen so far. This is my favorite match. I don't want to go. I don't so want to set the bar for five star at this. So I'm going to say four stars. I mean, so far, so far, so far. So, so uh, yeah. So after the match, uh, Piper attacks Youngblood, stomping him. So this was the most exciting and longest match we've had to date. Another ref comes out, and finally they're able to pull Piper off Youngblood and send him away. Great stuff. Then we get a weird local ad for Ronsevert, West Virginia, at the National Guard Armory, bell time at 8.15. I love this. I loved seeing this, the local ad for the house show. So uh, I know. They got, me, they got me looking for these ads. I'm so excited. I, like, oh, I, I wish like, we had the ticket. original uh, like commercial breaks as well. I'd love to take a look at the commercials from 1981. Maybe see a Sony Walkman commercial. Oh, and by the way, Stu Schwartz was the referee you were thinking of. Stu Schwartz. Okay, great. That's uh, that's Justin coming but I'll in take with my the, Justin I'll, coming in with a I'll big take brain. My Sonny Fargo. I'll take my Sonny Fargo any day. Oh yeah, oh yeah. We love our Sonny Fargo here. Next up, we have the great Kabuki, who in my uh, TEW game, which started in 1980, is the WWF Intercontinental Champion who defeated Tito Santana. Oh wow! Now, he has an I ornamental sword, and the jade statue looks uh, really cool. He's taking on Charlie Fulton here. The Great Kabuki disrobes, which takes about three minutes for him to take all of his uh, outfit off, which he takes off piece by piece, putting down his sword, putting down his figurine, taking off his robe, and then finally, after much anticipation, removes his mask, which uh, is an absolutely terrifying traditional japanese samurai his face is painted up like a japanese samurai but man he looks scary yeah if i was charlie fulton i would have just jumped out of that damn ring at that point a ridiculous chop uh on on uh, fulton here which just knocks him down and uh crockett says well that sounds that sounds like wahoo's chop so i'm actually excited to see who's got the best chop wahoo jay youngblood or kabuki I almost thought when he hit it that he actually hit him in the throat because he had that sort of back, that backwards going upwards towards his body. So mm. it made it look like he almost hit him in the throat. I was like, damn. A thrust kick by Kabuki and another chop to the head. And this match is over in 20 seconds. So three minutes of uh, 
disrobing and preparing for the match and then 20 seconds of wrestling. So what can you say about that except what a debut. This guy looked awesome. I'm sure everyone in the audience was terrified. It's, oh, my God. Can't wait to see more from the great Kabuki. Bob Cottle has Wahoo McDaniel. Um, and he asks He's back, him, baby. He asks him, Wahoo, uh, what, what is it going to take to get rid of Roddy Piper? Because they want him out of the company. Uh, Wahoo says, I don't like Piper, period. Says he has no guts. And if he sticks around, if he's stupid enough to stick around, sooner or later, Wahoo's going to run into him and uh, beat his butt, basically. Jake, yeah, I like that. Sorry, I, like, I like that Wahoo McDaniel's back. I like that Wahoo McDaniel's back. He doesn't have his, have his uh, belt anymore, but you know he's still feuding with Piper, and I'm pretty sure that uh, Piper's getting his comeuppance soon enough. Jake comes out and cuts a pretty bland promo about how he's sick and tired of Oli's bull, and he's complaining again how long it's been since he defended the tag team titles. Hey, why don't you go tattle on him to uh, Jim Crockett Jr. Maybe he'll give you a title shot. Tattletale, Jake. Well, that makes sense. I mean, back then, defend every 30 days. Leroy Brown and uh, Jake teaming up again to face Ali Bay, the huge guy from Turkey, and my favorite MACW journeyman wrestler, I will not call him a jobber, Ricky Harris. Brown uses his weight against Harris, ramming him uh, in the chest, and then hitting him with a big splash, and it's another tag win for Jake and Leroy. Not very much to say about this one. It was pretty quick. Well, it's establishing that maybe since the Minnesota Wrecking Crew can't do anything about their titles because one of them's injured, maybe a team like Robertson, Bad Bad Leroy Brown should be the tag team champion. And we have another local promotion for the Armory in Roncesvalles, Bell Time, at 8.15 p.m. We're going to have the Russians... With Lord Alfred Hayes. Uh, they're going to fight Jones and Weaver. What a main event. Anywhere in the world. <laughs> oh, that sounds like a terrible match. But we do get this awesome promo from Lord Alfred. I've Al. been chasing this coward everywhere. All over the world. And where do I find him? In Roncevert? I mean, I could have been in Paris. London. Uh, Rome. Even on the French Riviera. But I have to be in Roncevert where they quaff beer. I have to be in Roncevert where they quaff beer. <laughs> I liked when he said quaff. Great stuff. U.S. champ Sergeant Slaughter versus Frank Monty. Whoa, now, this is definitely... Whoa, whoa, time out. How dare you just mull over the fact that we saw a young and in-shape Kevin Sullivan in that last segment, too. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah. Sol Sullivan, look, okay, it was pretty cool. It was, it was pretty cool to see. But that was the first one. That was before. This, this was Lord Alfred Hayes and the Russians. <laughs> uh, U.S. champ Sergeant Slaughter versus Frank Monty. This is the rematch that I was talking about. So this is the same one as the last show. So they're just going to... From September 26th. Ah, that makes... Slaughter makes mincemeat out of Monty, as the same as he did three weeks ago, uh, which causes Cottle to say that Monty's only landed two or three blows in this match, he says. As Sergeant Slaughter's victories add up, Slaughter finishes him with a big clothesline and a cobra clutch. Good night, Slaughter is very agile back then. I mean, he can do the chain wrestling with the hammer locks. I've seen hip tosses. He does the shotgun leg drop. He's all over the place. I like it. Sergeant Slaughter goes to the action center, which is what I'm going to call it, and puts the whole roster on notice, saying that now he's on top. He says that 
Ric Flair should get a haircut to set a little taste of this. That's right, the U.S. heavyweight champion of the world. I am the man who came out here and told you just what I was going to do. I walk and I talk and I do anything I want to do because I am drill instructor Sergeant Slaughter. Is that clear, maggots? I can't hear you. Awesome, man. I love Sergeant Slaughter. What a, what a gimmick. Another person who's very good on the mic, except for that little snafu with the respect spelling. But other than that, he's gold. He's gold. R E S P E P E seven. Respect. <laughs> Ivan Koloff out now. He has some beef with Ricky Steamboat uh, that I guess we missed. Koloff says one of them is going to be out of wrestling by the time this feud is over. Cole Steamboat actually won the Mid-Atlantic Championship belt from Koloff on October 10th, which just happened in Richmond, Virginia, a few days prior to this event. Oh. So well, that's uh, what we meant. I suppose that that happened, what, what is this, the 16th? Uh, this was 17th. The... So this must have been at the last MACW TV taping, uh, perhaps. You know, I did have those results as well, but for some reason I think I closed I think I closed the Well, the regardless, page. uh Ricky Steamboat is now the Mid-Atlantic heavyweight champion. Oli comes out and says that now he can't defend the tag team titles because Gene Anderson is injured. He says Roberts is full of shit. They'll defend them when they can. How could he possibly defend the titles without a partner? Fair enough. Screw that. Your 30 days up. Time to move out. Yeah, well, I, I wonder if Oli's going to find another partner or if he's just going to vacate the titles. I guess we will have to stick around and find out because that is the show. That's Mid-Atlantic for October 17th. So that's our two shows covered. What do we think of this show? This was my favorite one to date, uh, probably because of the excellent Piper and Jay Youngblood promo and match and Young Lord Alpha Days. Yeah, I have to agree. Uh, 13 minutes of good wrestling. We even saw some color in there. Uh, great show. All right. So we have no other segment today because we are a little bit uh, – uh, my, my personal life has just been running a little bit uh, – crazy so we're behind schedule in the show but hopefully our if you will segment will happen next uh, week as it is for usual but thank you for tuning in you can follow us on twitter at wrestle chat that is with an r you can join our facebook group that is wrestle chat and what else we will be live t on twitch in two days time thursday night 9 p.m talking about aew and nxt and spinning the wheel for the if you wheel segment which will happen right here on territory tales next week anything you want to say leave uh, leave these good people with a word of advice uh yeah if you're a new promoter the first person you want to get is roddy piper so resurrect him asap can't disagree with that this has been wrestle chat territory tales thank you for listening and join us next week, we will cover the additional uh, shows from October from Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling as we creep a little bit closer to getting a Mid-South and uh, World Class. It's going to be very exciting. I can't wait. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying everything. All right. We're done for today. So peace and uh, yeah, that's it. Closing it. This is, this is the worst <laughs> sign-off I've ever done. Can you say something to say this, please? <laughs> peace. Too late. Goodbye.